As I travel the world, I note that there is a heresy that is impacting many, many Christians. That heresy has to do with the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you what I mean. There are many people, Christians included, that believe that the Holy Spirit is simply an influence, not the third person of the Godhead. And I want to be very open with you. That's a heresy. Now, why is this heresy so deadly? The heresy is deadly for this reason. If you think the Holy Spirit is an influence, simply a power that comes from God, and not the third person of the Godhead, first, you deny clear biblical statements. Secondly, if the Holy Spirit is just an influence, then you want to use that influence for your own glory. We're going to look today in our presentation at three things. First, who is the Holy Spirit? Secondly, what is the work of the Holy Spirit? And thirdly, the unpardonable sin. Now, I might surprise you today because I'm going to begin with dealing with the unpardonable sin, and that'll lead us into who is the Holy Spirit and how he works on the life. So let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the clarity of your word on this topic. Thank you that we can clearly understand who the Holy Spirit is, the role of the Holy Spirit, and how to avoid ever getting near committing the unpardonable sin. So open our eyes. May your spirit come and guide us. In Christ's name, amen. It was right after a meeting. I was greeting people at the door as they left my evangelistic meeting. And a young man I'll call Todd came out. I could tell by the troubled look on his face that something was really bothering him. As we shook hands, Todd said to me, Pastor Mark, can we talk? I said, sure, Todd. He said, but I mean right now. Is there something troubling you? Is there something urgent we need to talk about? Or could it wait till tomorrow? Or we could make an appointment this week? No, Pastor. I need to talk to you about this right now. I'm really troubled about it. So I said, sure. Once I get through greeting people here at the door and they've left the meeting, the church will be empty and let's go in and we can uh, talk at the church. So after a few moments of greeting, we went in, sat down in one of the pews, and Todd looked at me. I could tell by the pale look on his face, his quivering lips and shaking hands, that something was really bothering him as he trembled. And he said, Pastor, I think I've committed it. I said, Todd, I don't understand. What do you think you've committed? I think I've committed the unpardonable sin. He said, you know, I've gone so far in sin that I don't think that God could ever forgive me. Todd, Todd, do you want to be forgiven? Oh, yes, Pastor, I want to be forgiven. Todd, if you have that desire to be forgiven, if you have that desire to know God, I can assure you, you've not committed the unpardonable sin. That night I studied with Todd about what the unpardonable sin is how the Holy Spirit works in our life, and how to be filled with the Spirit. Let's look at that topic first of the unpardonable sin. It's mentioned here in Matthew chapter 12, verse 31 and 32. Matthew 12, verse 31 and 32. And notice this is Christ speaking, and he says, Therefore I say to you, 
every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. But this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it'll be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it'll not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. Now notice verse 31, I think, is a key verse. It says, therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven unto men. In the King James Version of the Bible, I've read from the New King James, it says every manner of sin and blasphemy will be forgiven. What's another word for manner? Another word for manner is type or kind. So the unpardonable sin is not a type of sin. It's not a kind of sin, but it's rather a degree in sin. Let me explain it this way. The unpardonable sin occurs when a person persistently rebels against or rejects the influence of the Holy Spirit upon their heart and upon their life. The Holy Spirit is really the voice of God that speaks to our soul. It's the vo you remember what it says in Isaiah. It says, you'll hear a voice behind you saying, turn this way or that way. So the Holy Spirit convicts us. That's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit, one of the functions of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit works through the Bible. Um, in fact, in John 6, verse 63, it says, the, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So when Christ speaks to us through his word, John 6, verse 62 and 63, what then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It's the Spirit who gives life. This flesh profits nothing. Verse 63, the words that I speak to you are spirit and life. So God convicts us through his word. All scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That is, all scripture is God-breathed. Uh, in 2 Peter 1, verse 21, you know, it talks about the fact that um, the Holy Scriptures were given to us through the Holy Spirit. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So God speaks to us sometimes. He convicts us directly in our minds. Most often, he speaks to us through his word, revealing truth. As God speaks to us, let's suppose that I was speaking, that you were speaking to me. And you're standing here on my left, and I am walking in this direction. Could I ever come to a point where I walked out of range of what you were saying? I could. If I keep walking that way, and if you keep saying to me, come back, come back, come back, but I keep walking that way, what's going to happen? Pretty soon, I'm going to walk beyond where I can hear your voice any longer. So the unpardonable sin is not the first step away from God, but it's the persistent walking from God and denying his voice, resisting the convictions of the spirit on my mind, rebelling against what he said in his word and coming to the place, not that God stops calling, but that I stop hearing. Another way I can illustrate it is this. Let's suppose you and I are in a room. And let's suppose that that room is 30 feet long. It's a very large room. 
And we decide that we want to make two rooms out of it. And what we're going to do is make a brick wall so that each section of the room is 30 feet. And so you're on one side and I'm on the other. And we begin putting bricks in the wall. So we're building this wall. You see the picture? We're building the wall. Well, pretty soon there's only a hole with 10 bricks left where we can put in. You put one in, I put one in. You put one in, I put one in. Then there's only one room for one more brick. And I can see you there and you can see me through that little brick hole. But then I put in the final brick and we are completely shut off now from communication through the brick wall. The unpardonable sin is not the first brick, but it's persistently putting those bricks in that we no longer hear the voice of God. Sin no longer appears sinful to us. We have placed that final brick in the wall, cut off all communication. There's another way we can look at the unpardonable sin, and it's this way. The Bible says, and let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Here's another way to look at the unpardonable sin. And I think it's very helpful as we look at it. 1 John chapter 1, and we're looking there at verse 9. If we confess our sins, if we do what? If we do the confessing, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not with us, in us. If we confess our sins. So if we do the confessing, God is going to do what? God's going to do the forgiving and the cleansing. But we must first do the what? Confessing. So the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin as we yield to the power of the Holy Spirit and confess our sin, God forgives them. So what's the unpardonable sin? The unpardonable sin is the one we won't confess. Why is it unpardonable? Because God cannot pardon it unless we do what? Confess it. How can God pardon something that we cling to? How can God pardon something that we hold on to? Forgiveness is not simply some legislative act up in heaven where Jesus says, automatically, you can just continue in sin and your sins are forgiven. Not at all. If we do what? Confess our sin. He is faithful and just to do what? Forgive our sin and to do what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So confession carries with it the idea of repentance, of being sorry for the sin. Confession carries with it the idea of surrendering that sin to God, giving it up. Confession carries with it the idea of opening our heart to receive the power of the Holy Spirit to be cleansed from the thing that we have confessed. So then, if the Holy Spirit persistently convicts a person and over years of time they resist that conviction, they're continuing to put bricks on the wall and continuing to seal themselves off from the moving of the Holy Spirit. So what is the role then of the Holy Spirit? We find that in John chapter 16, verse 7 and 8. In the Gospel of John, Jesus is preparing him, his disciples for his leaving. 
in John 14, 15, and 16, with climaxing in 16, are the clear statements of Christ regarding his ascension to his death, his resurrection, his ascension to heaven, and his inauguration in heaven and sending the Holy Spirit to his disciples. In John chapter 14, Jesus speaks about the fact that he's going to pray the Father and the Father's going to give them another helper. In John chapter 15, he says, but when the helper comes, so I'll send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he'll testify of me. So Jesus promises the Holy Spirit will come. He calls this uh, Holy Spirit the helper. Uh, The King James Version says the comforter. The Greek word there is paraclete. Paraclete. Para means uh, alongside of. Uh, You remember parallel, two lines that go alongside of one another. Um, So the idea here is paraclete. Para is alongside of. Clete comes from a Greek word. Paraclete is this Greek word. Clete comes from the Greek word called. So the paraclete is one called alongside of. So the Holy Spirit is called alongside of us to convict us, to sustain uh, our, our strength in Christ and our walk in Christ, to strengthen us to do that walk. So the Holy Spirit is this paraclete. You know, it's really interesting because in the ancient Roman world, when a person was condemned and they went to jail or prison, they were assigned a paraclete, one that would come alongside, provide a blanket for warmth in prison, help to provide food in prison, help to encourage them and strengthen them, stand with them in court. In other words, the paraclete in the ancient Roman world was not a foreign concept. It was one that stood alongside of you to provide every need that you had to provide every single need that you might have, the paraclete. So the Holy Spirit is this divine helper, this divine comforter, this divine paraclete who comes alongside of us to provide what we need. So John 14, 15, uh, speak about the Holy Spirit, but the essence of the work of the Holy Spirit is spoken about here in the 16th chapter of John. And we want to take a look at John chapter 16 and look at the work of the Holy Spirit. John 16, we're starting there with verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Can can you believe that? Jesus said to his disciples, it's to your advantage that I, I go away. How can it be an advantage that the living Christ personally with them for three and a half years, how could it be to an advantage that he went away? He tells you, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't come, the helper, that is the paraclete, the advocate, the counselor, the guide, the comforter, the strengthener, he will not come to you. But if I depart, I'll send him to you. See, Christ could only be with one person or one group of people in one place at one time. But the Holy Spirit can be ever-present universally with all believers. So Christ was going to come and ascend to heaven and send his Holy Spirit to be present with all believers in every place as the disciples would be scattered to preach the gospel. Some 
staying in Jerusalem, some traveling throughout the Middle East, some going to Asia, some going to Europe. As these New Testament believers went throughout the world, the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, would be present with them. Now notice what would his function be. When he has come, he will convict the world of sin. It is the Holy Spirit that is the still small voice in your heart that convicts you that you've done something wrong. I remember on one occasion, I was just becoming a Christian. And as I was becoming a Christian, I was in a restaurant one day with a friend of mine. I had been working on the golf course. I was a caddy, you know, carrying these big, heavy bags on my shoulder, the golf bags in those days. We didn't have a lot of golf carts, electrical, that people use today. But anyway, I was carrying these big bags. and I had worked all morning, hot sun, walking up and down in hills on the golf course. You know, I was a young teenager. I had just begun reading my Bible, just becoming a Christian. I was carrying these heavy bags. So my friend said, let's go grab, take a break. After we were through with our first session in the morning, our first round, we were going to eat and then come back and work again in the afternoon. Went to this little restaurant and as we got there, we were eating. The restaurant was packed. And my friend looked at me and said, look, we can walk out and not even pay. I said, that's a good idea. Let's go. And the restaurant was so packed, we walked out. Well, you know, I was just becoming a Christian, just reading the Bible for some of the first time. Well, that afternoon, I put those heavy golf bags on my back. And the bags never felt so heavy. As I was trudging up the hills, this little small voice was in me. You shouldn't have done that. You, you, you cheated. You robbed. You stole. You should not have done that. And I will tell you, after walking around that golf course for four hours, those bags were so heavy, I couldn't almost make it in the last part of the round of golf. What do you think I did? After I collected my money for my work, I ran back as fast as I could to that restaurant, talked to the waitress. I said, you know, it was crowded, and we happened to leave without paying. Here's my money for my lunch today. She was astounded. You came back? Yes, ma'am, I came back. Why did I come back? Because the Holy Spirit convicted my mind that day to do what was right. It is the Holy Spirit that's convicting you right now to do what's right. What is it in your life that you feel is out of harmony with God's will? It's the Holy Spirit that's convicting you. So here, Jesus lists three workings of the Holy Spirit. First, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, that's the advocate, that's the, the comforter, that's the one that comes alongside, that's the sustainer, the strengthener, the convictor, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. When he has come, he will convict the world of sin. So it's the Holy Spirit that's convicting you right now that what you're watching on the internet is not in harmony with God's will. He may be doing that for you. That all that time you're spending in front of the TV is, is not going to get you ready for heaven. That all that time you're spending watching that stuff on that computer is not going to get you ready for heaven. Now, don't misunderstand me. Some things on YouTube, I hope you're watching Hope Lives 365 on YouTube, but uh, there is something, I hope you're, you're listening to our radio programs, Hope Lives 365, stations all across America, but um, 
there are some things on media that are good, obviously. We need to be aware of what's going on with the news, etc. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people that are so absorbed with the media in the world that they are living contrary to the will of God. They're, the Bible says, set not your affection on things on earth, but on things in heaven, Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Now look, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. It may be some relationship that you're hiding from your wife that you know is not in harmony with God's will. It might be some violation of the law of God and the commandments of God that you are secretly pursuing. It may be the failure to be faithful in your tithe and offering. I don't know what it may be, but is the Holy Spirit convicting you of anything? It may be that you've been angry and just burst forth with that anger. Maybe the lack of forgiveness. Is the Holy Spirit convicting you something? Now, the unpardonable sin is not the first denial of the Holy Spirit's impact on our lives. I'm so glad that God is so merciful. God is so gracious. God is so patient. He bears along with us. But if you never put the first brick in the wall, you're never going to put the last brick in the wall. The unpardonable sin is not that first brick, it's not that first denial, but it's that repeated denial. And once we develop a pattern of denial of the Holy Spirit, soon we no longer hear the voice of the convicting voice of the Spirit of God, and soon there is silence in the soul. Notice the second work of the Holy Spirit. When he has come, verse 8, he'll convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Notice what he does. Verse 8, he convicts the world of sin of righteousness. Let's talk a little bit about that. What does it mean the Holy Spirit convicts us of righteousness? The Holy Spirit convicts us not only of sin, but of righteousness. Here, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit's role is to reveal righteousness. That is the righteousness of Christ. That is the, gr the grace and mercy of Christ. That is how good Jesus is. So the Holy Spirit reveals to me my sin and I see my sinfulness. But he doesn't leave me there wallowing in my sin. He leads me to see Jesus. In all of his goodness, in all of his grace, in all of his mercy, in all of his righteousness. And I see that everything I am not, he is. Everything I need, he has. Where I have failed, he has achieved. Where I have fallen, he has stood firm. And where I have yielded to temptation, he has resisted temptation. So I come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I've sinned and I confess my sin to you. Cover me with your righteousness. Cover me with the magnificent purity of your character. Lord, I want to live in Jesus. And Lord, cleanse me from those sins that really uh, enable me, cause me to fall. Cleanse me from all that, Lord. So the Holy Spirit's work, convicting us of sin, but to reveal the beauty, the graciousness of Christ, his righteousness. Righteousness also has another meaning. Not simply the righteousness of Jesus, as important as that is, that covers my sin, but the right living of Jesus. Righteousness is right living. 
the right living of Jesus that becomes the model or the example of my life, the pattern of my life, the example of my life. So the Holy Spirit convicts us of how to live. The Holy Spirit reveals to us the example of Christ's life. And then it says, he'll convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So you have conviction, you have instruction, and you have urgency of judgment. What does it mean of judgment? First, that Satan has been cast out of heaven and judged by God. And therefore, his way of life is the way of rebellion. And God leads us from that to him. So it's judgment upon Satan, judgment upon sin, and understanding that there will be a final judgment. Remember Revelation 14, verse 7. Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. Worship him that made heaven, earth, sea, and the fountains of waters. So before Christ comes, there will be a judgment. That's why the Bible says in Revelation 22, verse 11 and 12, he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. He that is holy, let him be holy still. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is clean, let him be clean still. Behold, verse 12, my reward is with me. And I come to give my reward to, 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 to every man. Let me read it exactly so we don't miss it, so I don't stumble over the passage. Revelation chapter 22, we're looking there at verse 12. Behold, I come quickly, my reward is with me, to give everyone according to his work. So if Jesus is coming to give out the rewards, there must be a judgment preliminary to his coming to determine who receives what reward when he comes, right? So what's the work of the Holy Spirit? The work of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin to instruct us in righteousness, and to warn us of the coming judgment. If a person repeatedly denies the Holy Spirit's convicting voice and rejects the Holy Spirit's influence, their heart becomes hard and they're incapable of hearing the voice of God. This happened to many in the Hebrew nation. It happened to many in Israelite. The Bible talks about that. Hebrews Chapter 3, verse 7 to 10. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 to 10. This happened to many in the Hebrew nation. Look, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in rebellion. So look, today, if you'll hear his voice, I say to you today, if you will hear his voice, listen to the voice of God. Let God convict you of sin. Let God reveal righteousness to you. Let God show you the urgency of the judgment that every one of us one day will stand with our lives before God. Do not harden your heart. Open your heart to Jesus and accept him as personal savior. What is the unpardonable sin? It's the repeated denial of the Holy Spirit's working in on our heart. We find that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Judas hardened his heart. And some in Israel 
hardened their hearts. Now remember, though, many of the early Christians, in fact, most of them, were of Jewish descent. Why? Because they listened to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 baptized on the day of Pentecost. They saw the righteousness of Christ. They understood judgment and they responded to it. Now, when we talk about the Holy Spirit and rejecting or accepting the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about rejecting a power. We're not talking about rejecting or rebelling against the force or denying the influence of some vague personality. We are talking about the third person of the Godhead. Did you notice here in John chapter 16? And I just want you to notice in John chapter 16, at least 10 times the Holy Spirit is mentioned as the third person of the Godhead. At least 10 times in John 16. Let me show you that. So we're not talking about some vague force. We're talking about the third person of the Godhead, as real as a person as the Father and the Son. Look at John chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away, for if I go not away, the helper, it's not some influence, will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. Notice him. Send him, third person of the Godhead. When he has come, he will convict the world of sin. You know, this is not some it will convict. It's not some vague thing. Ten times. Look, verse 8. When he has come, he will convict. You let your eyes drop down to verse 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will tell you things to come. He will glorify, he, verse 14, will glorify me. He will take of what is mine. He will take of what is mine, declare it to you. Ten times the Bible says him, his, or he. Who is the Holy Spirit? He is the divine third person of the Godhead that existed with the Father and Son from eternity and will and, and is universal in his appeal to all humanity. Now, I want you to see some aspects of the Holy Spirit there. This couldn't possibly be simply some power of force. It has to be the third person of the God. You say, how do you know that? Well, look, for example, at um, verse 13. When he, the Spirit, has come, he will guide you. Can a force guide you? Absolutely not. He will not speak. Does a force speak on his own authority? But whatever he hears. So the Holy Spirit does what? He guides. He speaks. He hears. He will tell you. He tells. He will take what is mine. He declares. So you look at what the Holy Spirit does. In he, he guides. He speaks. He hears. He tells, he declares. The Holy Spirit's attributes are those of the divine third person of the Godhead. And when you look, for example, at Ephesians 4, verse 30. See, you cannot grieve. Ephesians 4, verse 30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by which you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Can you grieve something that does not have divine personality, is not a divine person? You don't grieve a, a, a influence. You don't grieve a power. Um, or, for example, look over at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And um, here's Romans 8. And we're going to look here at Romans 8, verse 27 and 28. Speaking about the Holy Spirit. Now he who searches the minds knows the mind of the Spirit. Wait a minute. I mean, how can it be any clearer than that? The Holy Spirit has a what? Has a mind. The Holy Spirit has a, has a mind. So with a mind, you have to think. You have to reason. That, that's not some influence. It says... Here, now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So the Holy Spirit has a what? A mind. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He makes intercession for us. When Jesus is about ready to leave his disciples, he utters some of the most important words that Christ has ever uttered to them. He says to them, in Matthew chapter 28, he's giving them the great commission accompanied by the great promise. And he says, all authority, Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, now don't miss this, in the name of the Father and the name of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, in the name of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit has, has a name. The Holy Spirit has a name. Look, name of the Father, the name of the Son, the name of the Holy Spirit. Here you have the divine attributes of the Godhead. The Father has existed from eternity. The Son has existed from eternity. The Holy Spirit has existed from eternity. And together, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work for the salvation of humanity. They are eternal, co-equal beings. One of the most outstanding books that I have ever read on the life of Christ, other than the Gospels, is a book called Desire of Ages. It sold multiplied millions of copies, and there's a wonderful statement in this book, Desire of Ages, on the life of Christ, on the Holy Spirit. And it's commenting on Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, and it says, the Holy Spirit was the highest of all gifts that he, Jesus, could solicit from his Father for the exaltation of his people. The Spirit was given to be a regenerating agent, and without this, the sacrifice of Christ would have been no avail. In other words, if Jesus would have died on the cross but never sent the Holy Spirit, there would not have been this regenerating agent, the third person of the Godhead, to change people's lives. So we need the Father, we need the Son, and we need the Holy Spirit. If we didn't need it, Jesus wouldn't have sent it, right? Now notice, the power of evil had been strengthening for centuries, and the submission of men to this satanic captivity was amazing. Sin could be resisted and overcome only through the mighty agency of the third person of the Godhead who would come with no modified energy but in the fullness of divine power. It is the spirit that makes effectual what has been wrought out by the world's redeemer 
Who is it that convicts our hearts of sin? Who is it that leads us to the righteousness of Christ? Who is it that testifies of Jesus Christ? It's the Holy Spirit. But notice how beautifully Desire of Ages puts it. It said, sin could be resisted and overcome through the mighty agency of the third person of the Godhead. So it's the third person of the Godhead. That's who the Holy Spirit actually is. It's the Spirit that strives with us. It's the Spirit that guides us. It's the Spirit that comforts us in trouble. It's the Spirit that converts our heart. It's the Spirit that strengthens us. It's the Spirit that empowers us. And if we say no, no, no to the Spirit, we grieve the Spirit. It's the Spirit that pleads for us. The Holy Spirit has all the attributes of divinity as the third person of the Godhead. What is the safest way then to live? What's the safest way to live as a Christian? It is to say yes to Jesus. You remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39 and onward? He said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. That is the farce of his trial. That is the crown of thorns that would be jammed upon his head with blood running down his face. That's the nails that would be driven through his hands and the whip that would flagellate and tear the flesh from his back. Let this cup, the denial of his own people. He came to his own and his own received him not, scripture says. Let this cup, the turning away from his mother, his mother's turning away from the cross in absolute agony and horror as she saw her son nailed there. Let this cup pass from me. The trial, the beatings, the crucifixion, the betrayal. Let this cup. But nevertheless, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. The safest way to live is to live in harmony with doing God's will. That was the motto of Jesus' life. Safest way to live is when God convicts you of something, say yes. John 8, verse 29. I do always those things that what? Please him. That is the safest way to live. To make your decision that in everything in your life, you want to please God. That in everything in your life, you don't want to do one thing that displeases God that you are going to listen to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit says, move, you're going to move. When the Spirit says, give this up, you're going to give it up. When the Spirit says, go forward, you're going to go forward in this path of righteousness. When the Spirit reveals Jesus and all his beauty and graciousness, you're going to say, Lord, I embrace you. When the Spirit reveals truth, he when the Spirit comes, he'll guide you into all truth. There may be truths in the Bible you've never known before, truths in the Bible you've never understood before, truths in the Bible you've never followed before, but when God reveals it you're, through his Spirit, you're going to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. The safest way to live is not to say no to God when the Spirit convicts you, but to say yes, yes, yes. You know, some time ago, I read a story about a very wealthy man. He lived on a mountaintop overlooking a beautiful valley. He had a palatial estate, a mansion-like home. It was beautiful. He had four or five car garage. He loved his fast cars. 
and uh, his driver retired. He had to go down to his office in the city. And so he was looking for a new driver. They looked around, put ads in the paper, on internet, etc. And he had three candidates that he thought might work. But he was not going to let anybody else interview him, be, interview them, because as a driver, his driver was very important. He put his life in the hands of his driver every day, got in the back of his limousine, and they, the driver drove him down this mountain. Narrow road going down the mountain, windy curves. So as he interviewed these applicants, he said, look, I'm a very important man, first applicant, very important man. I've got a lot of business. Sometime we may be running a little late. This is what I wanted to know. How fast can you drive me down that mountain to get from my home to the office? How fast? I need to get there. And how close are you going to come to the edge? First guy said, look, here are my accomplishments. I have driven race cars before. I'm going to get you down there quick. You'll never miss an appointment with me. In fact, I'm so good I can go five feet from the edge. He asked the second man, second applicant, how fast can you get me down? The guy said, look, don't worry about it. I'm fast. I'm fast. I know that road. In fact, before this interview, I, I, I came up and uh, I, I practiced. I, I'm fast. And you think... I don't know of any other applicant, but I can get you three feet from that edge. You're going to be okay. Third applicant, same question. How fast can you get me down? This applicant's response was, look, speed is not my priority. Your safety is, sir. We'll get to your appointments on time, but I will never risk speed for your safety. I want you to know that when you're in my car, I'm going to stay as far from the edge as possible. I'm going to get you to your appointments on time. But you're not going to be tense because we're speeding down there. I will place your life as the most important thing. Who do you think got the job? Obviously, the third man. Why do I tell you that story? Because the way to live as a Christian is to stay as far from the edge as possible. Not even get near the edge. It's not saying, how close can I be to the devil's world and sin and be saved? It's rather, in everything I do in my life, I want to please God. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead speaking to your heart right now to lead you to understand the beauty of Christ's righteousness. And our response is, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, whatever your will is, I want to follow it. And I want to stay as far from the edge as possible. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the still small voice that convicts our hearts. Thank you that that voice reveals righteousness to us. Thank you that you'll strengthen us through your spirit. You'll empower us through your spirit. And Lord, help us in our lives to always say yes to the promptings of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio, 
and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.